0: Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our service this morning. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we really want to welcome you. Uh, but why don't we just turn around and greet one another? I know you all love doing this, but uh, just say good morning to each other and say hi. And good morning, hey, thanks, that was great. Okay, uh, a couple of announcements as we uh, uh, before we start, uh, first thing I can I mention that this weekend is uh, the Baptist Union of Scotland's uh, sort of official conference week, the, the event is called Canopy, and uh, it's all online. And uh, so although you may not have been part of the weekend, the talks are actually on the YouTube site of the Baptist Union of Scotland. So if you just do Baptist Union of Scotland YouTube, you'll see all the talks there, so you can actually revisit them. And uh, you may particularly want to go and see the one by Francis Can. That's not how you say his name, is it? Oh, it is? Okay, oh, good. Um, and uh, uh, he did a talk yesterday morning, and uh, that's online as well, so that's probably worth watching. Uh, he's he's an international speaker, well-known. And uh, again, but particularly delivering a message into Scottish context. Uh, but the, the rest of it's there as well that you may want to dabble in. So can I mention that? And the second thing is, 20th of November in the evening, we have the induction of Anthony as joining the pastoral team here in SBC. And again, warmly invite you to come along and be part of that event, as Anthony joins us. We are counting the days down uh, as uh, we've been operating with certainly fewer staff, uh, uh, severely fewer staff. Uh, over the last few weeks so uh, so we're looking forward to Anthony's arrival and then we have Christmas and uh, and I've said already but we have a series of Christmas services coming up I think this Christmas is going to be a great opportunity for outreach uh, we've got a theme the King is coming and I I really uh, ask you to start praying now and thinking about those that you can invite along and invite into our Christmas services to to hear the gospel and hear the good news about Jesus Christ Uh, this year in particular let's turn now to our Roman series reading Romans backwards and um, you'll be glad to know we've got to some of the really tough bits of Romans and uh, and, uh, I hope I hope we're feeling wide awake I I went into McDonald's and got an espresso before I started this morning just to make sure i was super sharp and uh, because we're going to grapple with some of the big issues and uh, obviously, we've only got 20, 25 minutes uh, to do this, so I'm going to highlight them. I may not solve them all, but, but just begin to grapple with some of these ideas. Uh, I, I don't know how you find it, but um, uh, it was nice of Hella to mention Stormzy, and, uh, but I don't know if you've ever listened to Stormzy's music, but I listen to it and I feel old, okay? It's like, you know, and, and, and there's a bit of, like in our modern world today, where I find myself hankering for the way that things used to be. You, you ever find yourself like that? I, uh, my, my daughter lives in the flat that I lived in when I was 21 years of age. And uh, I was over there yesterday, don't go over that often, See my grandson. And, uh, and I was sitting in the flat and I was just thinking, wow, 21, I was here. <laughs> and uh and, and you know just reflecting and then reflecting how it's so changed how it's so changed i i, I mean and uh, and 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 a kind of hankering uh, for for the way that things used to be i, I mean our, our parliament this week was debating concepts relating to what is a man and what is a woman and and, and grappling with questions on this and you sit there and you think certainly when i was 21 I would never have invented these these kind of debates in these kind of forums. Just don't. And and there's a bit of you that kind of wants to hanker for the past and wants to turn to the past. And, And then you have to deal with the realization, and it's hard if you're a wee bit older, where you have to recognize that we are moving into a future, and the future is not going to be the past, but it's a new future that we have to move into, and we have to adapt and respond to that future. And that's hard. Uh, traumatically so <laughs> as you get older uh, young people don't understand what i'm talking about you but you do if i'm older uh if you're that bit older and and, and romans 11 9 through 11 is kind of dealing with this issue we, we we've seen that the key themes of chapters 12 through 16 it's really this division between the jewish believers and the gentile believers the, the Jewish believers had been kicked out of Rome for five years. They were now returning. And the Gentile believers had been running the church. And, and Paul had to bring these two groups together with very different theologies, with very different outlooks. He had to bring them together into an operating body of Christ that could reach out to its community. And that's why he wrote Romans. And, 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 and the idea is that the theme is peace. and and the theme is peace not only within the church but peace for the community wholeness and healing for the community and in order for that to happen the church had to understand the future that god was calling them into and both groups needed to understand it the gentile believers needed to understand it and the jewish believers needed to understand it and both of them were looking at the way things had been you know the jewish believers were looking back to hey Wasn't it great when we ran the church? Uh, And the Gentiles believers were saying, wasn't it better when we didn't have the Jewish believers here? And we got to do things with our new modern theology. Uh, And now we've got to deal with this old stuff again. What's going on here? And and Paul is trying to set the foundation for that discussion of peace that we see in chapters 12 through 16, here in chapters nine through 11. And he begins to grapple with some massive issues. He he, he grapples with where we've been, with where we are, and where we're headed. And uh, and so he deals with the past, the present, and the future. And these passages are some of the most significant uh, passages in the whole of the New Testament. Uh, Some of you will know that in 1917, there was a declaration made by the British government. It was called the Balfour Declaration. And uh, the... uh, the declaration was made by the Home Secretary then, a man called Lord Balfour, who lived in East Lothian and was a Scottish Presbyterian. And he basically made a declaration which said that although the land, which was known as Palestine at the time, although the land of the Palestine had less than 5% of a Jewish population, the British government was committed to establishing a Jewish state in that part of the world. And uh, historians have kind of looked at why on earth did the British government, the most powerful government in the world at that time—no, hard to hard to believe nowadays—but uh, why why did they choose that as a policy? And uh, people, historians debate it and argue. But I think there's a really powerful argument, and, and certainly Lord Balfour believed it, that it was largely due to the Scottish Presbyterian influence on Lord Balfour. People believed that actually that policy was contrary to the national interest of Britain at the time. And, and, and the question is, why would they choose to do something that was contrary to the national interest? And there's an argument, and a strong argument, that it was because Balfour and others like him had read Romans 9 through 11. And they believed that the restoration of the Jews would usher in a new golden age. It says in Romans 11 verse 12, what greatness will the full inclusion of God's people mean for the whole world. There had come a reading of these chapters, Romans nine through 11 in the 18th and then into the 19th century, which, which said that what Paul is talking about here is he's saying that for a time, there will be work amongst the Gentiles, but then at a certain point that will stop and then the Jews will be converted wholesale and all Jews will be converted and become Christians. And then there will be a restoration to the land. By the end of the 19th century, that had changed round, mainly because of Presbyterian theology, to say that the Jews will be restored to the land, and then there will be a revival of the Jews, and then there will be a global revival. Any of you got taught this in your early church backgrounds? No? we don't teach this stuff at all nowadays well be thankful that you did because I would suggest it's important that we we engage with these themes again and and the understanding of this related to what Romans 11 says Uh, because there is a declaration here that the fullness of Israel will be gathered in and the question is what does that mean And and, uh, if you ever watch most Christian television stations or whatever, they're driven by some of these ideas that are rooted in Romans 9 through 11. And so it's important that we grapple with this. There are two views and two ways of interpreting Romans 9 through 11. And can I say, just as I outline them, uh, I will favor one over the other, but I'm actually agnostic in the sense of, I have to acknowledge I have one view, uh, but others have a different view, and I might be wrong. Okay? So (laughs) I I want to say that up front, all right? And and, uh, usually, people who say your view is wrong point to a very powerful argument, which is the restoration of the Jews to the, the land that we call Israel now in 1947 and that that's a very powerful argument that maybe god's doing something there but anyway i'll 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 take you through the two views and tell you what i think paul was envisaging so so the first view is is what we call dispensationalism and it's and it's a reading of the passage that we've just read which is basically paul is saying that in the past God worked through the Jews and he established these covenants with them in terms of the Old Testament. He chose them, he elected them. It was through them that the Messiah arrived and happened. And then the Jews rejected the purpose for a time and God's attention turned to the Gentile world. And that's what Paul is about, the attention of God turning to the Gentile world. And there's a kind of detour to deal with the Gentiles. And and Paul talks about this. He says, God's working amongst the Gentiles. And and then he says, but you Gentiles don't get arrogant. And and, and he actually says, the hope is that the Jews will get jealous of what God is doing amongst the Gentiles. And so they in turn will be saved. And uh, he talks about that in Romans 11 through nine. And uh, so he's developing. So this idea that the Gentile world is where the church was and where God was working. But as I say, in the 19th century, a theology began to develop that based on the readings of Romans 9 through 11, that what God was then going to do was he was going to take the church and the Gentile believers that had been gathered in, and Paul talks about this at the end of chapter 11, that the fullness of the Gentiles, the full number of the Gentiles being gathered in, he said they will be taken away And uh, some of you will know the idea of the rapture. Anybody heard of the rapture? Great. Oh, good. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure what our theological knowledge. But okay, the rapture. So the idea of the rapture came out of this theology, which is the idea that God will take the Gentile church, basically, or the Gentile believers, and he will remove them in in an act where all the Christians will disappear from the earth. Uh, if you, we, we used to have what I called Christian horror movies when I was young, but uh, <laughs> called things like "Wish We Were All Been Ready," and uh, and it shows you what happens when all the Christians disappear from the earth. It's not good. Let me just tell you, all right? It's even worse than now, all right? And, uh, and and that there would come a rapture, and then God would turn His attention back to the Jews, and the Jews would all become believers, and then the fulfillment of the purpose of the Jewish nation would be realized in the subsequent period while the church was missing. And then at the end of time, God would join them back together again in heaven. Got that? Great. (laughs) So that's the idea there. That's called dispensationalism. Is that what Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 11? Some believe so. Others say no, that's not what Paul's teaching. What Paul is doing, and again, if we remember reading Romans backwards, Paul's concern was bringing two hostile groups together, not actually saying, oh, you're on totally different tracks. And for a time, you Gentiles hang out over there and you can run things, but then the Jews will take it back again and it all run together. The, Paul was arguing for, well, the second view is that Paul is arguing for integrationism, which is basically where what Paul is saying is, in the past, God has worked, through the Jews and through the Old Testament and through establishing all of these covenants, uh, through Abraham and working his way in relation to this. But now the Gentiles have been grafted into that covenant. Okay. So there's not two covenants, there's not a covenant with the Jewish people and a covenant with the Gentile people, but there is one covenant. Does that make sense? One one relationship that God has to humanity, which was through the Jews, but Christ now has brought about that, that relationship is through the Jews and the Gentiles bound together in a belief in Christ into a single community. And that is now how the work of God goes. And it isn't that the old covenant has ceased, but rather the old covenant is now being worked out in this new hybrid reality of gentile and jew bound together in christ and paul's arguing that that was god's purpose all along right from the start that's where he was going he was not trying to separate out jews and gentiles but he was trying to bring the whole of humanity into a new relationship with god in terms of a single covenant now sometimes i say things about presbyterian theology. Uh, But one of the things I love about Presbyterian theology, not enough to make me a Presbyterian, but it is something I love, is that sometimes people think there are two covenants, a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. And people think that the covenant of works started, uh, lasted throughout the Old Testament. That was all about works. And then Jesus came, and now it's about a covenant of grace. So the relationship with God has changed, and it changed through Jesus. Presbyterianism, and I think they got this right, said, no, that's wrong. There is a covenant of works and a covenant of grace, but the covenant of grace does not begin in Matthew chapter 1. The covenant of grace begins in Genesis chapter 3. The covenant of works is what... Adam was in relationship to God. But the covenant of grace was being worked out from Genesis 4 onwards. And so Abraham is not about a covenant of works. Abraham is about a covenant of grace. And the whole of the Old Testament is about a covenant of grace. And now the expression of the church is the outworking of this covenant of grace that God calls both Jew and Gentile into, okay? second and and so it's the second view that that's what paul is arguing now as i say and uh, i hold up my hands uh, the, the the well in fact let's, the the key text here relates to verse 26 and if you look at verse 26 in, in some of the translations it says and in this way or others it says and so all israel will be saved Verse 26, and the question is, what does the and so mean, and what does all Israel mean? Okay, verse 26, it all hangs on one verse, and how you interpret it. What does it mean? And so. So um, some people believe, because if you you look at what Paul goes on to talk about, he says, so that you may not be conceited, Israel has experienced the hard, um, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so, so the and so relates to the full number of Gentiles. So what Paul's saying is all Israel will be saved is all about the full number of Gentiles coming in to share in the covenant with the Jews. And as the full number of the Gentiles comes to share with the Jews in this new covenant, so all Israel is saved. That's one reading of it. The other reading says Noah actually means in the end, all Israel, i.e., all Jews, will be saved, and so it points to this global revival. Does that make sense? So the question is, what does the Anso mean? Is the Anso saying it's this hybrid of Gentiles and Jews coming together, or is it saying Israel, as in the Jews, will all be saved? Now here's the thing. If you read Romans 9 through 11, it's pretty hard to work out exactly what Paul's arguing. And brilliant theologians like John Stott and John Piper, these guys, they they would stand with me in reading it as an integration text. But others would stand and say, no, it actually is saying that all of Israel will be saved. And again, I think the strongest argument that that camp has is the fact that Israel was restored to the land of Palestine in 1947. And and that's like, what's God doing there? Is this completely irrelevant to the purposes of God? Or is God doing something in that? That's the big question. However, I do think that Paul's arguing for an integrated approach. And, And I'll give you my reasons. As I say, I may be wrong, but I'll give you my reasons. First of all, I think it accords with Romans 12 through 16, what we've seen, but it also accords with what Paul begins to say in Romans chapter 9 because Paul starts this whole series and these series of passages by saying you know I would be accursed if I could see the Jewish people saved that's an amazingly strong statement that's how he starts and and then he say, and then he goes on to to develop that theme and idea and he says something quite radical in verse 6. It is not as though God's word has failed, because people were saying, wait a minute, the Jews aren't saved, so hasn't God's word failed? Haven't the covenants failed? And he says, no, God's word's not failed, and the covenants haven't failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Chapter 9, verse 6, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. What does it mean? He's suggesting a redefinition of Israel, isn't he? He's suggesting that Israel is not defined by genetics, but by, uh, you'll, you'll see he goes on to talk about Isaac, by the act of faith. And so he says Israel is defined by faith, not by genetics. And he goes on to reiterate the same point again, second point. He says, not because they are his descendants, are they all abraham's children so they're not abraham's children just because they are descended from abraham on the contrary it is through isaac that your offspring will be reckoned through isaac and isaac's the type of jesus and so what he's saying is the offspring will be reckoned through jesus and the act of the cross and so he's saying israel will be defined through jesus and the act of the cross and he then goes into this big argument through chapter 9 and 10 and 11, and then he concludes and says, all Israel will be saved. Is the Israel that he's talking about the people he's just defined in chapter 9? You can discuss that in your Bible study groups. <laughs> Have fun. I hope there's some brethren people here to argue the other side, So, uh, but, but that's what I believe, all right, that, that what we are seeing is a picture of integration. So let's... Say, okay, that's what's going on here theologically, and that's what's alright. What are the things that we can take away from this? What lessons can we take away from, from what is a, a difficult passage that's dealing with big themes? The first thing that I think Paul is trying to communicate here, and it's very important that we understand this: that Paul's argument is not grounds for anti-Semitism. There are no grounds for anti-Semitism in the bible and 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 this is what paul is saying and he's turning to the gentile believers in chapter 11 and he's saying you guys are arrogant and you guys are proud and you guys are developing a wrong attitude towards the jews that's what he's actually saying to them and he says i want to warn you about that because you have to understand that the jews in the past were the recipients of the covenants They received God's glory. They were chosen by God. And you have become arrogant and boastful, and you are ignoring the significance of the Jews in terms of the past, because you are indebted to them. And and he's explaining this. Now, tragically, Christianity has been full of anti-Semitism. And again, sometimes people have used the book of Romans for that. And there is no grounds in Paul, in fact, there are no grounds in the Gospels for any kind of anti-Semitism. Paul goes on to argue. He says, don't you understand that their unbelief has caused you to be shown mercy? And the reason you've been shown mercy is not so that you can sit there and go, well, I'm all right. Boy, those Jews, they're really in for it. They had everything, now they've given it all up and hey, we're all right and they're in major trouble. He said, don't you understand that the mercy of God has been shown to you so that you can become vehicles of mercy to the unbelievers? And he's doing that in relation to the Jews initially, although he does extend out to the whole of humanity by the end of chapter 12. So he does focus on the Jews and then says, you've been called to show mercy to the whole of humanity. Now here's the thing, and it's one of the things I love about being Scottish and about our Presbyterian tradition and heritage, is that because of the way that the Presbyterians read Romans 9 through 11, Scotland has always had a positive and affirmative relationship with the Jews. We've always affirmed the Jews as important and valuable and to be respected and and to be acknowledged. And, And actually, you know, there are more, or there were more, Christian missionary organizations directing and reaching the Jews in Scotland than any of the other groups in the world put together. Uh, If you go anywhere in the world and you find Jewish mission going on, you will invariably find Scotsmen (laughs) or Scotswomen (laughs) at the heart of it. They were the people were the drivers saying, we have been shown mercy. Now it is our turn to show mercy. And there should always be that sense of uh, a positive and affirmative sense towards the jewish people i think our emphasis on jewish mission that scotland's reflected has been a right emphasis not in a way that's kind of saying well god's got two covenants and he's still got one operating for the jews and one operating for the gentiles and the two will be separated out but actually because we share in one covenant and we are indebted in terms of the jews so there is no grounds for anti secondly I think what Paul is saying here is that God is the Lord of the past, present, and the future, and there is a plan, and God doesn't want us to be looking to the past. Yesterday I drove up and parked, I had some music, and my phone's set up so that when I walk into my car, it just automatically starts playing whatever's on my phone, and it's usually, relatively older music and uh, so i was playing brit pop you know what that is from the 90s before stormzy and uh, and uh, and it, i must have been playing it quite right because as i drove up into the parking ride uh, i got in my car and the guy goes great music and, uh, and i said oh, yeah and i could see the twing- he remembered the 1990s he remembered those songs and it brought back all his stuff and it was like oh, wasn't the past great would be good if we could just go back to that? Uh, wasn't it? Where, wasn't church good? Wasn't society good? Wasn't the music good? I mean, <laughs> can't we go back to this? And you know what? Paul is saying, look guys, the past is important and it's good to honor it and affirm it and see how God has worked and acknowledge God's work in the past. But the fact is God has a new future for us. And in order to move into that future, you have to turn and embrace that future, the new thing that God wants to do with Jew and Gentile, to create a new future. See, for us as a people, it's really easy to want things to go back to the way they were. You know, oh, when are we gonna get uh, passed back to pre-COVID, pre-years? Uh, 2020, when are we gonna get back to the way things were? And actually, God wants to say, we're not going back to the way things are. You're gonna have to learn to embrace a new future and discover the new thing that I want to do in that future. And for some of us, that's hard. Maybe even slightly painful. But God is a God of a future and he wants to move us into that new thing. The third thing I think that Paul's saying in Romans nine through 11 is that God is faithful. I remember watching a old movie. I call it the gospel according to Hollywood. But um, it starred Gene Simmons, the actress, Robert Mitchum, Cary Grant. And Gene Simmons gave up Robert Mitchum for Cary Grant but she had an affair with Cary Grant. And then Robert Mitchum, her husband, discovers, and there's a conversation between them. And it's a really powerful conversation that happens between Robert Mitch and Jean Simmons when she comes in and says, well, you know, I've committed adultery. I cheated on you, I recognize this. Um, I guess you want a divorce. And he turns around and says, because you have been faithless, I don't have to be faithless. You know, God is faithful even when we are faithless. And what Paul is trying to say here in Romans 9 through 11 is that God is faithful. And you see, God has a plan and he's moving us into a future. And I know it's hard to believe that God has a plan given the mess of everything and how hard things are. But what it's saying is God is faithful to the plan and god is working out that plan and that new covenant is moving us towards the new reality that god has for us and god is going to be faithful to that no matter how hard it is in the present reality God is working the plan. And you're all part of that. The Jews are part of that. The Gentiles are part of that. The new reality of the church is part of that. And God is moving us towards that. So love one another and love your community because God is at work. And a new thing is going to be brought because God is faithful, even when we are faithless. Romans 9 through 11. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Romans 9 through 11. Lord, we understand that there are difficult ideas there. We understand that there are maybe passages of scriptures that we would disagree on their interpretation. But Lord, I pray that we would see the central themes in these passages. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for whenever we as individuals or churches have entertained anti-Semitic tendencies or thoughts or attitudes. Lord, help us to recognize the respect and honor that is due the Jewish people. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have been so preoccupied with the past and returning to the past that we have failed to open ourselves to the new future and the new realities that you want to bring about. Lord, forgive us for a church when we have focused on the past, rather than look to the new things that you are going to do in the future. Lord, we commit ourselves to that future, even though it seems uncertain and confused. Lord, nonetheless, we trust that you are at work. Lord, we also pray that you would forgive us for the times that we lose sight of that plan, for we lose sight of the fact that you are working towards a purpose. Lord, forgive us For the times that we get so preoccupied with our lives that we lose the bigger picture we lose the outworking of your faithfulness in our world and in our church so lord we pray that we would discover that even in the midst of our unfaithfulness you are a faithful god lord we ask this in your name amen